Welcome to University College's podcast, I Do Declare, the podcast that offers unique academic and experiential insights from the people who put the major in exploration. We are back with I Do Declare. I have an awesome guest, super excited, Dr. Julian Keenan from biology. Julian, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Adam. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here this morning. So thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Awesome. So let's get right to it. Uh, you offered to share with us what it means to be a neuroscientist, which I look forward to addressing shortly before our listeners understanding. What disciplines did you uh, earn your degrees in and what you drew you to study those areas? Well, I think it is the disciplines that got me excited. Okay. Um, I started in psychology and my bachelor's degree was in psychology. And the more I got into psychology, the more disillusioned I became <laughs> with <laughs> the uh, sort of witchcraft that exists in psychology. And I got drawn to the neuroscience that exists in psychology. So um, since my 20s, I'm now in my 50s, I've been <laughs> becoming more and more a biologist every day um, and taking the roots in psychology and applying them in biology. Fantastic. So some of the things might not have been concrete <laughs> enough for you in psychology, whereas neuroscience is... Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I definitely felt more centered in the science, the the biology, and it's just been a wonderful merger. So, uh, one of the beautiful things is that you can take psychology, philosophy, religion, and mm. when you combine it with biology, you get this strange cauldron that eventually winds up tasting a lot like neuroscience, which wow. I love. That's my favorite dinner. I love the cauldron. <laughs> yeah, it's a great image. Yeah, yeah, we do a lot of uh, we do a lot of like weird chemistry uh, in our lab. And I'm thinking back because we've been friends and colleagues for quite a while. I think at one point you'd done um, a test with sound, and I think there were insects, and they were you were sort of they got attracted to the sound. And yeah, it's uh, one of the one of the revelations yeah. has been. Um, how smart animals are, uh, cool. right down to the fruit fly. And the fruit fly mom is a pretty smart um, entity, mm -hmm. and she actually lays her eggs where the sounds are safest, and where the sounds are safest are other protective animals. So she's not just randomly laying her eggs. She puts them in a safe place, so hopefully uh, they'll grow up in a pretty safe environment. So that's one of the small discoveries that we made in the lab. That's fascinating. Yeah, whoever thought Drosophila or the fruit fly would actually be <laughs> uh, fascinating, but it's true. And they they even, they'll, they'll lay them by sugar as opposed to caffeine. Insects don't like caffeine. They okay. like sugar. So the mom will actually lay it, uh, lay her eggs. We call it OE positioning. Okay. She'll actually lay her eggs near sugar uh, so her kids have plenty of food as they grow up. Wow. Now, if she doesn't stick around to raise them, you know, that would be, oh, you know, that would be crazy talk. But <laughs> um, hopefully the sugar does a good job raising them. Wow. Okay. So you sort of opened up a number of different subjects here mm -hmm. uh, about what a neuroscientist does and what they can do. Uh, so what are some of the skill sets behind there? Maybe some of the degrees, if somebody were interested, what they should pursue for that field? Yeah, and, and I was thinking about this because you, you posed this question to me a while ago. Mm -hmm. What is the main characteristic I would look for or I would be as a neuroscientist? And it's creativity. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the ability to see problems in a novel way because the brain is very complicated. The whole central nervous system is really, really complicated. So in our lab right now, we have... <clears throat> 
communications majors. Oh, wow. We, yeah, we have poli-sci majors and we have philosophy majors as well as psychology and biology majors. Oh. And they each bring something unique to the table. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. It's that creativity, seeing a problem from a different way. So right now we're looking, for example, we have a study we're just publishing on where in the brain is your political affiliation no versus way. your religious affiliation. Is it? Wow. Yeah. And what we found is that your religious affiliation is much deeper set and much harder to move than your political affiliation, which I would say in these days is probably a good thing that your, your <laughs> politics can actually shift a little bit as, as, as uh, we hope everyone comes a little more to the middle. So how do you go about finding that? Is that the neuroimaging side of things? Or? Yeah, yeah. We have a technique here at Montclair State, and Montclair State's actually now known for this called transcranial magnetic stimulation, where wow. we can actually um, heat up, cool down, excite, or inhibit areas of your brain. And as we heat them up, cool them down, inhibit them, we can see behavior change. So in this case, we can actually see people become a little less entrenched in their politics. But ironically, their religion does not change one iota. <laughs> Any uh, theories on that? That's the difference? Sure. I think that uh, people are much more serious and invested in their religion than they are in their politics. And again, um, mm. I hope that's seen as good news. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could go on and on about that one for sure. I'm just thinking, all right, so the religious side of things are much more entrenched. That's like you know, who I am, my belief system, but I might make changes based on outward politics, seeing yeah. how the move, the world changes and moves. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, obviously you're more religious uh, based on where you were born and who raised you mm -hmm. and, and all those sorts of things. So I think you've been getting a religious message your entire life um, and the political one changes. But those are, you know, that's just a sampling of what other majors bring to our lab, and hopefully these majors will go on to become neuroscientists and provide a lot of um, creativity to the field. So you mentioned creativity as one of the chief skill sets to bring uh, in order to be successful in this field. Other skills, I mean, we're bringing people, like you said, from multiple disciplines. Uh, what are some of the other areas possibly? I think an interest in human or animal, but mainly human nature, mm -hmm. uh, just a general curiosity about, well, why does that happen? Uh, why do people do that or why do animals do that? I'm, I'm a bit I'm a bit anthro-centered, but mm -hmm. um, you can go from any angle. And it's a real curiosity to try to get not just to the surface explanation while well, they do that because they're hungry. It's getting deeper and deeper. Well, what's making them hungry and what's preventing them from satiation, right? And then getting really deep. Um, and you can go as deep as you want, right? To the brain level, Mm -hmm. to the neuron level, to the neurotransmitter mm -hmm. level, to the atomic level. So you can just keep going and going and asking these questions. But ultimately, if you're curious mm -hmm. and you're creative, you're going to be a great neuroscientist. Okay. Even if you get C's in chemistry. Well, see, that's where I wanted to, <laughs> that's where I wanted to go next. Say I have those qualities. I'm curious and I'm creative, but I'm kind of scared of math. I'm kind of scared of chemistry. I'm scared of um, sort of numbers maybe in general. Um how can that be forwarded? How can we sort of get over that? Sure. I mean, the the route I went was initially psychology, which doesn't require chemistry or math or physics, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then when I trained in biology, that's when that came. But you don't need to. So, for example, there's a job called a clinical neuropsychologist, which is a clinician mm -hmm. um, and a psychologist combined together. And they don't see a whole lot of uh, deep, hard science in their discipline. 
On the other side, you can be a neurobiologist where all you do is you're in a microscope, you're okay. in a Petri dish, um, and you're measuring things with electrodes at the microscopic level. Wow. Yeah. Deep. Deep. Totally deep. Very, very deep. And I haven't even talked about, you know, the religion, right? So bringing in Please. religion into this. Um, I know plenty of wonderful neuroscientists who are interested um, because of their uh, religion. In fact, we just had a speaker here at Montclair State who came in and talked about him, him himself being raised as a Jehovah's Witness okay. and how that influenced him as a neuroscientist and got him to ask the big questions. You know, where do we come from? Why do we have a consciousness? <laughs> is there a need for a God if you have a brain? And is there a need for a brain if you have a God? And, you know, those sorts of deep questions. Wow. Yeah, it's a little heavy for uh, 10.30 in the morning. I'm sorry, Adam. On, on spring break. <laughs> on spring break. <laughs> Nonetheless. So cool. Okay, so um, what do you love as well as find challenging about being a neuroscientist? Um, I love how interdisciplinary it is. I mm -hmm. love how you can stand up there and talk about one case, be it the most famous, which is Phineas Gage, uh, which some of your listeners may have heard of, um, to some obscure case, you know, uh, having to do with congenital blindness mm -hmm. and people get immediately interested. So I love that aspect of it. I think that that's like a really, really wonderful aspect. Um, what I don't like is how venerated it is that people think that because you're a neuroscientist or there is neuroscience, mm -hmm. it must be true. Um, <clears throat> we just had a recent paper come out that showed all you have to do is put a picture of the brain in your paper and you will get a higher grade and or people will believe the science more, even if you don't refer to the brain in your article or your paper. So um, if we do have students listening there, even if your paper is on Confucius, put a picture of the brain in and you'll probably get a higher grade. <laughs> so that's the part I don't like. I don't like how it's put on a higher plane than other sciences or philosophies or religions. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Phineas Gage. Give us a, give us a, uh, Phineas Gage. We're going back please. to the eighteen fifties, so we're going old school. He's all hyped. Yes. Yeah, this is this is like Beatles and Zeppelin. Nice. We're going way back when. Um, so Phineas, he was a railroad worker, and he was uh, had a good and bad day. The bad mm -hmm. part was he had a dynamite explosion and a tamping rod, which is like a baseball bat, went through his head, and it went through an area of his brain called the frontal lobe. So mm -hmm. that's the bad part of his day. The good part is, <laughs> amazingly, he lived and he could talk and he was up and walking oh. within a half hour, um, which was incredible. And why he became so famous is he was fine, except for his personality. His personality completely changed. So he went from a person like you, a fine, upstanding father, sure. gentleman, uh, mm -hmm. wonderful uh, contributor to society, mm -hmm. To a gambler, a liar, couldn't hold a job. You're kidding. Yeah, lost a lot of his inhibitions. And so the title of the paper was No Longer Gage, right? Mm. That he he was no longer the person that he was prior to the accident. Even though his health was fine and everything was fine, his personality was different. Wow. And I, that's sort of ringing some bells because I remember as a kid reading Ripley's Believe It or Not. And I think in some ways that that, that was mentioned at one point. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget he survived, and right. most people would not survive that, and um, and it really brought about the the science of neuroscience, trying to figure out what brain area corresponds to areas of our personality, areas of our memory, language, thinking, all those sorts of things. Wow, switching gears here, um, I think you established the cognitive neuroimaging lab here at MSU. How did that come about? How did that come about? <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. So this is now, we're now celebrating our 20th year. So we're having wow. parties all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's actually kind of fun. We have a weekly lab meeting and it's now on Zoom and we've been bringing in wow. graduates. So people who graduated 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years Coming ago. Back. So all these medical students, I mean, these former stu Montclair students are now medical doctors. Um, they're now clinical psychologists. They're now dentists. I mean, it's just it's no so joke. much. Oh, it's so each week we have a different person come in and it's just a lot of fun. We had a vet come in uh, last week and it's just a great time. Um, so mm -hmm. 20 years ago, you know, we didn't think it could happen. We didn't think that you could have great neuroscience at Montclair State and I don't guess what, guess what we proved them wrong. <laughs> um, so a hundred articles later and, you know, a thousand, I don't even know how many abstracts and conferences <laughs> we've gone to and graduates. We've just done amazing stuff. Um, this year we rekindled the neuroscience club. So if anyone's interested in being involved in that, uh, mm. we meet every Wednesday or every other Wednesday. Uh, and we now, I would say have about nine neuroscientists on this campus. About five of them are in psych uh, a few are in bio, and we even have one in communication science and disorders. We have one in linguistics. So there's plenty of neuroscience going on on this campus, and it's really, really exciting. Multidisciplinary. The more we talk, it's just, there's no, it doesn't still mean like any door is closed. None, none at all. And that's, that's, I think that that is the beauty of neuroscience, that somehow you can get the brain involved. Um, when I first came to campus, I actually taught a class with uh, a music therapist. Um, and so we co-taught a class together and she was really into neuroscience. And obviously you and I share that interest in music mm -hmm. um, and the healing powers that, that music has. Insane. In the best way. Insane in the very best way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we all have wish lists at work. What are some of your wish lists? What would be on your wish list rather with regard to being a neuroscientist? Uh, well, in, in, in in terms of Montclair State University, I just sure. want to see us continue to slowly grow. Mm -hmm. um, our lab has a motto that says we compete with Princeton. And okay. our students, when they apply to med school, they're they're competing against Princeton students. When we publish mm -hmm. a paper, it's either publish ours or a paper from Princeton. So we always have that mentality. Um, and the way we've been able to do it is just slow. We go slow and we've been growing slowly. And I think that... The growth overall in the college, mm -hmm. the growth overall at the university has been um, really, really beneficial to what we do. So rather than, you know, <laughs> build a brand new, you know, blah, 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 just the slow growth has been really, really wonderful. And each year we seem to add a new neuroscientist and it's just been spectacular and wonderful. So cultivating students, cultivating their applications, helping them get to where they want to go in terms of their career development. That's part of the wish list. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that the more, um, the more students become aware of what we do, they're like, wow, you can do that at Montclair State. Right. Um, <laughs> and again, we've, you know, the, the ability to attract students from across campus, um, so I think my w wish list would be eventually we're going to have doctorates in neuroscience. Mm -hmm. Eventually we're going to have minors and majors. Um, but it's a slow road, right? It's, 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 we'll eventually get there at some point. Wonderful. Absolutely. I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a question I always like to ask, because uh, our listeners primarily are university college students, pre-major, haven't decided on something yet. Um, some of them know what they might want to major in. They're just testing the water. Some are, you know, like 
A, I'm not sure at all. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give yourself, say, freshman year, sophomore year in, in college? I would say um, <laughs> take a lot of different classes and just explore yeah. what you want to be. I mean, I entered uh, college thinking I was going to be a TV broadcaster. Get out of here. I swear to God. Look so, out. <laughs> so before there was CNN, I saw it. I saw it. On the, <laughs> that's what I wanted to be. Um, and then was a history major, a communications major, and then a psych major. And then just, I think the exploring and the mm. liberal arts um, and the hard science, just all of it putting together, I think is a really, really wonderful thing. I can't say enough for being in therapy. I think hey. our students should be in therapy mm -hmm. to, to gain a little bit of self-awareness about who they are and, and really what their, uh, aspirations are. So I would sure. say that is a, as a bit of advice. Um, I know we're not, uh, um, reading as much as we used to, but diving mm -hmm. into books, what they love or YouTube channels, what are they loving on the internet right. and having that guide where they're going in their career. So I would say being open and last but not least, I would say you're, you're wasting your life if you're not a neuroscientist, <laughs> so, but that might just <laughs> not be my biased own, at all. not biased no, at all. <laughs> no. I can, I can completely appreciate, you know, therapy, talking to folks, the talking mm -hmm. cure, uh, having benefited from my, from myself, I benefited from that service. But then here too, what do we have to do every 3,000 miles with our car? Change our oil. Why, right. why wouldn't we go in and get a little checkup on ourselves? Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the, you know, the basic counseling services here at Montclair State are wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then just the resources that we have are ab absolutely incredible. And even if there's not a um, immediate or acute issue, mm -hmm. just going in and finding... Uh, um, finding about yourself and learning like things like how to meditate, um, mm -hmm. learning how to actually pick up an art, draw, do yoga, I think are wonderful, wonderful things that college should be about. Coming out of this COVID, none mm. of us are the same, right? No. We're all affected and um, uh, readjusting ourselves to actually talking in person and not wearing masks right. and all of that. I mean, that, that alone. But I think in terms of the career, finding about, mm -hmm. you know, so utilizing career services here on campus, Love which it. is wonderful, um, use of, utilizing the counseling services, all of that has been great. And these are not things that immediately come to mind to a lot of our freshmen. Wonderful advice. Dr. Keenan, thank you so much for coming in. It's been a fascinating conversation. I always want to thank the CART students who will mix and edit this episode so we thank you as well as, of course, Annabella Poland, WMSC General Manager par excellence. Thank you, Julie. Thank you very much, Adam.